Well, today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we continue in our series on biblical justice. And we've been looking the last few weeks at what Jesus has to say about what it looks like to, um, to practice justice in his name, in his kingdom way. And here... We see what justice has to do with our neighbor. Now, generations of children grew up hearing the avuncular voice of one Fred Rogers singing, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? As he slipped into his sweater and, 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 and put on his house shoes. Now, Mr. Rogers wanted each and every child to be his neighbor. Mr. Rogers, you may know, was a Presbyterian minister. He was actually ordained to, by the Pittsburgh Presbytery. Uh, his television show was a validated ministry. And I know that he, as a, when I was a child, he ministered to me. Uh, my mom would let me fall asleep to the sounds of a Mr. Rogers tape. And he taught me to not be afraid of the rain. Though I will say that... Uh, I was traumatized by the presence of Lady Elaine Fairchild in the neighborhood of make-believe, but that's another story. Now, Mr. Rogers, he understood the power and the importance of being a neighbor, which leads us to our passage this morning, which is one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's certainly in the, in the top two or three. It's the parable of the Samaritan, and so we're going to look at what it teaches us about what biblical justice means in terms of being a neighbor. And the parable starts with a question, or we should rather say a test, that a lawyer puts to Jesus. Jesus has been attracting a lot of followers at this point, but a lot of them are, are the wrong kinds of followers from the perspective of those who consider themselves religious, tax collectors, sinisters, sinners, people with a bad reputation. 
And so if you were religious, you avoided those people because, you know, there is some truth to the proverb that bad company corrupts good morals. And so here comes this self-styled rabbi declaring that the kingdom of God has come near, and he's doing all of these incredible things that are undeniable. But then he's gathered the wrong kind of crowd, and well, this lawyer wanted to test Jesus to see if he could pass the bar, so to speak. And so he asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus sniffs him out immediately, and and I think truly this lawyer is is one of those, um, this is less of a question and more of a comment type of people. We all know them. And Jesus understands that this lawyer isn't actually looking for, for insight. And so he turns the question back on him. What do you say? What's written in the law? And and at this point, the lawyer has a choice. You know, he he can recite all of the 613 commandments that are contained in the Mosaic law, or he can go ahead and offer what is a widely accepted summary of all that's contained in the law, which he goes ahead and he does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers him, you are correct. Do this, do all of these things, and you will live. Now, with this answer, Jesus shows the limitations, the limits that there are to all forms of moralism, ways that tell us that we're, the way that we're made right with God is by doing all the right things. So look at what the lawyer said that was necessary, according to the law, to inherit eternal life. Love God with all that you have and all that you are, and love your neighbor just as if they were yourself. Do you see how impossible that standard is? Love God with all that you have, all that you are, your neighbor, as exactly as if he was yourself. Now, it's only when we are confronted with the the impossibility of moralism that we respond in, in one of two ways. And the first way is that when we're confronted with the impossibility of the standard of moralism, it drives us to a deep humility. When we recognize our, our, our inability to live up to that standard, even approximation of it, and it opens our eyes to the necessity of grace. Or, you know, that's the first response, that moralism makes us humble and open to God's grace. Or we can respond in a second way, like this, this lawyer does. We can look for the limits of what love requires of us. We, we, we can trim it back to a more manageable set of requirements. So there's no way that, 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 that the, the lawyer at this point is going to question that, you know, there's got to be some limit for his love for God. But what about his neighbor? And the text tells us that he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? How far does the circle of love extend? from myself in order for me to inherit eternal life. And implicit in this question is one thing. It can't include everyone, can it? And so in response to this question, Jesus tells a story. And this story, it it does three things. It it radically redefines who our neighbor is. It, it, It radically redefines the love we owe our neighbors. And it radically redefines who is worthy of such love. 
And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at those three things. So first, it radically redefines who our neighbor is. And so in the story, a man is going along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and all of a sudden, robbers come out, they jump him, they beat him, they leave him for dead. He's stripped almost naked, left for dead on the side of the road. And to anyone who passed by, I mean, he was a wretched sight, a man clearly in need of assistance. And then three people pass by, and and certainly you would think that they would stop and help him. I mean, wouldn't you? This brings to mind, you know, someone needing help on the side of the road. Of course, people are going to reach out and help. That's what we assume, that we would do the same thing. If we were in in, in their shoes, we would be the ones who would stop. But it brings to mind the the famous story uh, from New York City, and I think it's actually been debunked at this point that it happened in this way. But for years, the story was told in this way. It was the story of of the uh, murder of Kitty uh, Genovese. And it was in March 1964 in New York City. And so uh, uh, Kitty Genovese was was stabbed, uh, uh, stabbed to death on the streets of New York City. And allegedly, this occurred in front of 38 witnesses. They heard her screams. They, They were aware of the attack. And none of them called the police, or intervened to help. And so this was years for examples. This murder was years used for, uh, as an example for years in psychology textbooks for what's called the bystander effect. This notion that, when, that we all think that other people are going to help, and so we don't do anything to actively help ourselves. And so here in this passage, we see what we might call the bystander effect as well. Now, nevertheless, Jesus has, has two characters who you think would help walk right on by. Two people who, the, the scribe, the lawyer himself, he would identify with these people as being the right kind of people, his kind of people, the good guys. First comes the priests. Now, the priests, they were supposed to avoid contact with dead bodies since that rendered them ritually impure and unable to render their service then in the temple. But that's less important, actually, in this story, given the fact that the priest was headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho, meaning that his his time for priestly service in the temple was up. He had done his job. He was going home. But still, this guy looked like he might be dead, and so best not to chance it. You can almost understand him passing by. there's, There's the hint of a justification for not stopping in his story the tiniest hint of a real excuse. Now, next comes the Levite. And the role of the Levites was to assist the priests in worship. And the rules for them regarding contact uh, with the dead in terms of maintaining ritual purity, they were much less strict. And, And so here, the Levite really has no excuse. As a pious Jew, you know, he has no excuse to at least see if this person lying left for dead on the side of the road needs some help. But he too passes by. Two potential heroes, two good guys, two people just like this lawyer walk on by. Now, who's coming up the road next? Jesus says, a Samaritan. Now, at, at these words, this scribe's heart, this lawyer's heart, it, it, it would have sunken and it would have been filled with disgust. Because Samaritans were viewed by Jews as as religious heretics and and ethnic half-breeds. Samaritans were reviled. They were the scribes' ethnic and religious enemy. 
And instead of passing by, Jesus says that the Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, this man lying on the side of the road, he had compassion. And so here we see Jesus radically redefining who is included under the category of our neighbors. Our neighbors include even our enemies, even our ethnic or religious or racial others. G.K. Chesterton says that the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. So Jesus radically redefines who is included in the category of neighbor. But he also radically redefines what love for our neighbor looks like. Look what the Samaritan does for this Jewish man left for dead on the side of the road. He stops and he cares for him. Now keep in mind, this man has just been robbed and stripped and beaten. There's a decent chance that whoever did this to this man might still be lurking in the shadows and they might do it to him, the Samaritan as well. The robbers could still be around. So stopping and helping, it it, it entails great risk to his physical safety. And then he cares for his wounds. He, He comes into intimate contact with a broken and hurting and bleeding person. So here he sacrifices not just his, his physical safety, but, but, but his personal comfort. It can be hard enough to, to bind the wounds of someone we know and love and care about, let alone some stranger. I mean, admittedly, this would have been gross. And lastly, what does he do? He carries him on his own animal to an inn where he takes care of him for the night, and then he pays the innkeeper in advance to take care of him. And so this comes at great personal expense. And so here we see how Jesus, he he radically redefines the kind of love that we owe our neighbors. It involves caring for, for their tangible and immediate needs. The Samaritan, he meets this man's material, physical, and economic needs through his deeds. And he does so at the cost of his own safety, his own comfort, and his own resources. For Jesus, that is what love looks like when it's directed toward our neighbor. And lastly, Jesus radically redefines our understanding who is worthy of such love. Now, you hear this parable, and and it's very clear teaching You know that we are to offer tangible, costly, sacrificial love to our neighbor. That includes everyone we have to go out of our way to avoid. And the objections can naturally arise. Well, what about people who don't deserve it? Right? The people who haven't been robbed or beaten through no fault of their own. But but, but people who are unworthy. They're, They're addicts. They make poor choices. They can't hold down a job. People who make poor decisions. What about people who are irresponsible? They don't deserve it. Well, it's not a question of desert when we look at this through Jesus' eyes. It's a question of grace. Jesus asks us to imagine ourselves not as the Samaritan coming and helping, but as the man who is lying beaten, left for dead, on the side of the road. Now, Jesus could have said, there was a Samaritan who was robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road, and then a Jewish man came by and had compassion on him. Now, this still might have offended the lawyer who was asking Jesus this question, but you know what? In that version of the story, the right people still would have been the heroes. 
But instead, Jesus puts a Jew on the side of the road as the victim. And Tim Keller has these great words to say about this in his book, Generous Justice. Jesus was asking each listener to imagine himself to be a victim of violence, dying with no hope if this Samaritan did not stop and help. How would you want the Samaritan to act if that was your situation? Wouldn't you want him to be, your, to be a neighbor to you across all racial and religious barriers? Of course you would. Jesus was saying something like this. What if your only hope was to get ministry from someone who did not owe you any help, but actually owed you the opposite? What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every justification based on your relationship to him to trample you? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's actually sharing the gospel. We are like this man on the side of the road. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but Jesus did not pass us by. He came into this world, he walked down our road, and though we were his enemies, as Paul tells us, we were his enemies. He did everything for us. He risked it all. He bound our wounds. He paid the ultimate price. Jesus isn't just an example of the good Samaritan. He is the great Samaritan to whom all our acts of charity and generosity are but a faint echo. And I want to close with this thought. Before you can give this neighbor love, you also need to receive it as well. And once we have received it, that understanding that we have been saved by sheer grace, that God has given us everything, and so he has every right to ask from us to love our neighbors as ourselves, When we receive that grace, we can give that grace. When we receive that neighbor love, we can give that neighbor love. And we are freed and set free and empowered to be the kind of neighbors that Jesus calls us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful that you came to this earth to be the great Samaritan to show us what costly, sacrificial, radically generous, insanely generous neighbor love looks like. Lord, might your spirit empower us to to answer the call of Jesus to this lawyer that we might go and we might do likewise. We pray this in your name. Amen.